Hi, welcome to the 13th Warehouse, Friday the 13th TV series edition. I'm Vicki. And I'm Kim. And here are the episode credits for Friday the 13th, the series, season 1, episode 13, The Baron's Bride, and episode 14, Bedazzled. Created by Frank Mancuso Jr. and Larry B. Williams. The Baron's Bride was written by Larry Gaynor, directed by Bradford May. Original air date, February 15th, 1988. Bedazzled was written by Paul Monette and Alfred Sowell, directed by Alexander Singer. Original air date, February 22nd, 1988. So we're back with Season 1, Episode 13, The Baron's Bride, and Episode 14, Bedazzled. The cursed artifact in Baron's Bride from Friday the 13th Wiki is a black cape with a diamond clasp, and the cape makes the wearer irresistible to women, and the clasp allows time travel when touched by blood. So you got yourself a vampire episode, finally. So Frank Edwards goes to check out a room for rent. And by the way, he's looking around outside as if to see if anyone's seeing him go in the house. I immediately think he's up to something. Yeah, like he was hiding from something. Yeah. And they keep doing that to us. Like we were talking about, I don't know how many times in the last couple episodes about the facial expressions and what we think is going on and then there for no reason. Right, because at one point I thought he's either hiding from somebody or he's casing a joint. Yeah, that's what I thought. And it looked like he was looking around to make sure nobody saw him going in there. Mm-hmm. But he's not. He just wants to rent a room. Mm-hmm. So the lady of the house says she's been looking for someone to rent the room to since her husband died. And she leaves him in the room, and he finds the cape laid out on the bed. He puts it on, and she watches from the hallway. And it sort of changes his appearance a bit. It kind of just really, you know, they slap some makeup on him and smooth down his hair. So the owner comes in, and she says she's been looking for the right man to wear the cape. So I get the whole thing of the cape. It makes him irresistible to women, and they can time travel. But wouldn't anybody who put the cape on, since it makes him irresistible be the right man that she's looking for? Well, of course, but the other question is how her husband died. Yeah, we didn't hear about that. But didn't they say the cape uh, made you immortal? I could have sworn one part of it is she said something. She made him a vampire. Yeah, right, but I could have sworn that he said to Mickey something about being immortal. I don't know. When I go pull clips, I'll see. Because after he put on the cape and she said, you know, she's been looking for the right man, but first I have to make you one of us. So she made him a vampire, which doesn't really make him immortal. It does as long as nobody stabs him or kills him or lights him on fire or whatever. When Frank was talking to Mickey, almost toward before the end, he said it. After this one, he said, we could be immortal together. Or he said something about, I know he said something about being together, but I could have sworn out his mouth. He said immortal. And I was like, well, what happened to her husband then? Because he was going to turn her into a vampire. Right. But if that's the case, how the husband died? They never told us. They never told us. Right. When he was hiding in the basement, when he took off the cape, it looked like he was going to die, too. Yeah, but he looked like a werewolf. Well, I couldn't tell what was going on there. But, you know, apparently he has to wear this cape all the time, it seems like. So I don't know what happened to her husband, but I don't think it made you immortal. The wife was a vampire. Her husband was probably a vampire. Maybe, maybe not. But she was making Frank a vampire because being a vampire kind of makes you immortal in the sense that you live forever unless somebody kills you. As opposed to immortal like we were talking about, what's his name in um, Warehouse... Professor Sutton, Warehouse 13, who was married to Charlotte Dupree, also immortal, and their son, Nick, who was also immortal. 
Right, yeah. He's immortal. Somebody kills him, he's not going to die. That's immortal. He's just going to live. But a vampire, you could say he's immortal unless somebody stakes him or throws him in the sunlight or something. And he was going to turn Mickey to a vampire. Right. I remember seeing that part. But even when it's changed, I was like, please don't let this be a werewolf part two. Vampire turns into a werewolf. Yeah, I don't know what that was about. It seemed like once you put the cape on, you can't have to leave it on or you shrivel up or whatever was going on with him. I don't know what that was about. I don't know what they were trying to show us there. It just kind of looked to me like if he takes the cape off, he's going to die. Then technically, if they're going to do that, then he should have been almost shriveling up and losing your muscle mass, your body mass, and you start shriveling up to a dead person like we've seen before. In a warehouse and everything else, you you see the person that's shriveled up almost like a skeleton, kind of. This one, even his face and stuff changed to where he didn't look like he was dying. He just looked like, um, to a certain degree, he was um, transforming. But maybe he would have transformed and didn't exactly die. I don't know. He looked like a werewolf. Because even it looked like his teeth were getting ready to go. I can't tell you. I don't know what he was supposed to be turning into. I have no idea. But it just seemed like that happens when you take the cape off. So I was like, okay, so now you got to leave the cape on forever? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I don't really understand what they were trying to show us. I took yeah. it as he was going to die. But you took it as something else. And they didn't ever explain. So your guess is as good as my guess. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the heck was happening. So back to the room before they go back in time. Mickey, Jack, and Ryan happen to be searching for the cape at the same time this guy's trying to rent a room. I think I've located the cape. No kidding. Where? House on Bay Street. How'd you find it? Well, we know from the manifest that the cape was sold to a Peter Simmons. Now, I managed to get through to the Hall of Records, and the only Peter Simmons died a few years ago, and then his widow, Marie, moved out shortly afterwards. I tracked her down, went out to the house. There's a sign on the lawn saying room to rent. Oh, so I take it I'm renting a room now. Exactly. I'll be your uncle. Mickey can be your sister. Well, I can't even rent a room on my own? Not when we're up against a cape that has some kind of a curse on it. Jack tells him the cape makes the man irresistible to women, but he doesn't know what the downside is. This woman, like we said, turns out to be a vampire and turns Frank after he tries on the cape. Been able to determine what the cape does? Not very much. Except that when a man wears it, it makes him irresistible to women. What's so dangerous about that? Yeah, not very much. No, it's getting it out of the hands of Mrs. Simmons that might prove dangerous. I thought you said her husband was dead. He is. Well, then what could be the cape eat her now? I guess we're going to find out, Mickey. Now, you and I through eternity will be bound. For with this cape, immortality is found. And with this clasp, we can travel through time. Just a drop of your precious blood mixed together with mine. So they all rush in, but it's too late to save him from turning. Then Ryan stabs her with a wooden room for rent sign. So she's dead. Mickey's face gets scratched. Mickey, of course, is attracted to Frank because that's what the cape does. I don't think Ryan gets that part. I don't think he understands that's why Mickey's standing with him because when they travel into the past, he keeps saying, what's the matter with you? I don't think he got that part of it until later. Yeah. He tries to get her away from Frank and her blood mixes with Frank's. All three of them go back to London in 1875. So I thought you were going to get another Jack the Ripper story. Yeah, close to it. Yeah. I was like, oh God, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> they run into Abraham and Caitlin, who take him in. And at this point, I thought something was up with them because they were so overly nice. Yeah, I thought so too. I actually thought they were vampires too for some reason. I thought they went back in time to a place where there were vampires roaming around or something. I didn't know. But as soon as he said he was a writer, I was like, oh, he's going to be somebody famous. 
Yeah, I knew that. And then I said, oh, I know what he wrote, too. Yes. Yeah, I couldn't think of the name right away, but I, re- I realized it before the end that he was going to end up being Bram Stoker. Yeah, I forgot who wrote the book, but I remember the name of the book. So I was like, oh, oh, okay. And then when he, when they said it, I was like, oh, that's who wrote it? So, But as time travelers go, Mickey and Ryan just fail completely. They don't try to hide the fact that they came back in time. Ryan says they didn't take a ship, but they flew to London. Ryan asks why Abraham and Caitlin didn't live together before they got married. And Mickey throws one of her fits about how are they going to get out of here. So they tried to hide nothing. I mean, I don't know if they were trying to hide at first, but they were doing a poor job of it. Well, it's not even even if you're trying to hide anything, but you should be more understanding of the time period. Right. Of where they don't understand. And this is where one of the Doctor Who things come in for me, because I'm like, usually they go ask the people in that time period, ask, what form of garment are you wearing? Right, and nobody asked that, yeah. She got this weird puffy coat on and the hairstyle and I'm going you're not even asking about the clothes they have on yeah that's the first thing you pick up when you see somebody is their appearance well I'm thinking the reason he didn't ask and I could be wrong was because they just assumed they were actors from a acting troupe oh yeah that's right so so maybe that's why they didn't think the clothes were weird but you still have to be conscious of the time like why didn't you live together before you got married well come on that was a stupid question yeah come on i'm surprised you didn't ask somebody to use their phone (laughs) (laughs) but they do finally mention the cape and the vampire to abraham and his wife but they don't believe it meanwhile frank is running around london trying to find food and he kills a woman and the police report that the woman was drained of blood Okay, I know you're going to say something about Mickey's hair when she was resting. I won't. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) We'll say that for later. (laughs) Yes, you know, they're going to stay with uh, Abraham and his wife, and Mickey goes to sleep with her hair all pulled out (laughs) perfectly on the pillow. So it's obvious she's still under the spell of the cape. But like I said, I don't think Ryan knows this. So she tries to sneak out. Ryan tries to stop her. There's a commotion outside about the murder of that woman. And the cop tells Abraham that he thinks it's the work of a vampire. So now Abraham still really doesn't believe it, but he wants to know what's going on. So Ryan, Mickey, and Abraham go out, leaving the wife alone. And I really thought she was going to get killed at this point because they left her alone. Mm -hmm. I was sure of it, but she didn't. And so all the townspeople are chasing Frank. Abraham still thinks there's an explanation other than a vampire. Ryan talks them into getting supplies, garlic, a wooden stake, and a lantern. Then Abraham takes them around to all the hiding places he knows of. He takes them to an old warehouse, which is where Frank is hiding. Then we see the part we were talking about where Frank takes the cape off and we don't know what happened to him. Is he shriveled up? Is he turning into something else? Is he going to die? But he's a mess. He's not his handsome self, and he's not the self he was before he put the cape on. So I don't know if it ages you rapidly if you take it off. Was that what was going on? That's what I thought was going to go. So that's the perfect word you said, aging rapidly. No, I, he did not to me. He did not. This is where I thought he would turn into a, a werewolf. <laughs> yes, I know. Because even the way he had his hands up like he was going to howl at the moon. I don't know what they were trying to tell us. I still can't really figure it out. Right. So yeah. what you just said about uh, aging rapidly, yes, that's what I thought was going to happen. He did not. 
His hands kind of look like that. I don't know what they were trying to show us there. I don't know either. But something happened to him when he takes the cape off. And apparently this means that he can never take the cape off. That's kind of ridiculous. So then I was wondering also, the woman in the house earlier made him a vampire. So is this what he would look like as a vampire if he didn't have the cape? Maybe that's what it was. I have no idea. But normally vampires look the way they look when they're turned. Right. See, I don't know. I always thought they had the cape to fly. So I don't know. Well, you're right. He wasn't a vampire when he put the cape on. He was not. She turned him into one. Right. So with that being said, I have no clue. I, like I said, I thought they wore capes to fly. Cape turned into bat wings. <laughs> <laughs> That's possible too, but... Yeah, he didn't fly. He didn't turn into well, a bat. he came up to the window on the second floor and then he went up to the roof. Which you saw his face. Right, which makes me wonder why he was running through the town letting these people chase him when he could have just flown somewhere. But Yeah, but he didn't turn into a bat. Right, he did. He was up to the second floor, but we didn't see how he got to the second floor either. So we're assuming he flew. Then he was on the roof. But he was on the roof walking. So you could just hop up and blow your cape up and there you are. It would have been nice to see him turn into a bat. Yeah, I don't know that he turned into a bat. Yeah, he turned into a bat. They just, that's the sound effects and a little whatever. <laughs> you know, most vampire things I've seen, if they don't fly, they could climb, like straight up a wall or something. So mm. I'm wondering why that he still let them chase him around town when he could have just run up a building. Maybe he didn't know by then that he had the use of his power because he's still new to this. Yeah, that's true. So he could have probably turned into a bat. <laughs> <laughs> so when he puts his cape back on, Mickey feels his presence. And then he jumps out of the shadows and grabs her. Abraham uses the garlic to get Mickey out of there against her will. She screamed and yelled the whole time. Mm. When Frank catches up to them, Ryan opens the door to the sun. So the sun hits him and keeps him back. See, now he should have burned up when the sun hit him. Right. They bring Mickey back to the house. And Ryan and Abraham go back out to search for Frank, leaving Mickey with Caitlin. Now, this time I knew she was going to die. Yeah, I just kept on saying, really, dudes? Yeah, they let it go the first time, but this time she had to die. Ryan and Abraham search all day and don't make it back to the apartment by nightfall. Frank shows up in the apartment window on the second floor, which, like I said, made me wonder why he was running through the streets earlier. And then we hear him on the roof. When Caitlin tries to get Mickey out of the house, Frank shows up at the door. Now... Vampires have to be invited in, but Frank just walks in the door. So I guess all vampire rules are out of the window at this point. In this series, yeah. Yeah, because they can't come into somebody's home unless they're invited in. And he was not invited in. No. Did she tell him to go or something? Yeah, she did. And he just walked in. So I think all vampire rules are not being adhered to. But, but <laughs> wait a minute. I'm going to go back. Okay, so okay. even when you said that about Mickey's president, Frank and Mickey... Even when I'm thinking about dark shadows, at one point, if there's a connection, that's like a magnet. Okay. So that could have drawn him. That could have been one of the reasons why, because it's like a magnet. And it draws you near. So maybe that's what drew him up to her because she was there in the house. And that could be what they're trying to do, but the actual rule is... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right. They must they have to be invited right. in. Talk about getting up the wall. Coming in the door, that right. Okay. It should not have been. The presence of her in the house would get him up the wall and on the roof. When I think about dark shadows, you know, he has strong connections to certain 
to certain women. Right. And especially if it was not a, I'm going to kill you and suck your blood thing going yeah. in the beginning, is a physical attraction or some kind of attraction. And it's like a, like a mag where they just float to it. Yeah. I think I'm the only person in the world who wasn't allowed to watch Dark Shadows. I didn't watch Dark Shadows until last year on Pluto TV. You watched the original one from the 60s? Yeah, yeah, it's on here. It's on here now. Well, I remember we would come home from school every day, and everybody would go home to watch Dark Shadows, and we weren't allowed to watch it. Oh yeah, I couldn't watch it either. Yeah. I don't watch Dark Shadows. That's why I said, let me check it out now. <laughs> it's a, it's yeah, I'm grown now. So <laughs> let me check it out. It is very interesting, and it's just a soap opera. Yeah, it's, it's exactly a soap opera. Yeah, I knew that, but I never got to watch it. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. anyway, Ryan and Abraham come back to find Caitlin dead and Mickey gone. Abraham is grief-stricken and throws Ryan out, so Ryan goes off to find her himself. So Ryan finds them and tries to kill Frank with a stake. But here's a tip. When you're trying to sneak up on someone to stab him, maybe not running and screaming at him on your way to the stabbing, maybe you'll, you know, not alert them you're coming. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I was like, what is happening? I thought the same thing. I want to say Mickey even did it at one particular point. No, never mind. Never mind. No, I'm confused. Okay. Oh, yeah, nope. oh my God, that's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. I mean, he took a running leap at him and screamed the whole way. Yeah. All right. So because of Ryan's screaming and pretty much announcing, look, I'm running over to stab you, Frank has time to stop him and almost kills him when Abraham shows up and stakes him. So they get the cape and Abraham asks to go with them, but they tell him that he wouldn't understand their time, which is probably true. They use the cape to go back to the present and they find Jack waiting in the room for rent. They never say how long they were gone. But back in the store, Jack did a little research and determined that the Abraham that they met turned out to be Bram Stoker. Their visit influenced him to write his famous book, Dracula. Mm-hmm. So you have anything else on this one? No. Well, you got a vampire, so you should be happy. <laughs> mm, that I thought was going to turn into a werewolf. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> if anybody knows, tell us. Please leave a comment. <laughs> <laughs> Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Space, the final frontier, or is it? Discover the podcast of a couple of moms who love Star Trek and happen to have kids on the autism spectrum. Join Vicki and Elizabeth as we explore strange new worlds, talking about the new Star Trek Discovery series, autism, and whatever else comes to mind. We're Moms Going Boldly, and you can find us on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Player FM. Hey, Dud Gramley here from Yeah, That Can't Be Good. Please join Kim, Vicky, Skip, and myself over at Yeah, That Can't Be Good for an episode-by-episode podcast of all things Eureka. You can listen at EurekaRewatch.com on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. So now we're moving on to episode 14, Bedazzled. The cursed antique description from Friday the 13th Wiki is a brass lantern that reveals sunken treasure, but has to burn to death a diver who helped recover the treasure. So we did have a lantern artifact in Warehouse, but it caused earthquakes and people to be buried alive, so it was nothing like this. But this episode is different from the episodes we've seen before because we have Jack and Ryan retrieving an antique at the beginning, 
and the person who owned it trying to steal it back. And I think this might have been the first time that the original purchaser is the one who still currently owns the antique. Because mm-hmm. usually we find out that the original purchaser has passed or has sold it to someone else. So this guy knew right away where to go to steal it back, which mm-hmm. I have questions later when we get to it because he is the original purchaser. So the episode begins with Jack and Ryan recovering a lantern. We see a lantern shine down into the water and locating a treasure chest. Then we see the man who is holding the lantern, Jonah, pointed at the diver and burning him to death after the chest is opened. So here's my question. The description says they have to kill someone from the diving party. But I wonder what happens if you don't. Does the person who used the lantern die? I don't know. And how would one figure out how it works? I could understand if, say, Jonah wasn't the original owner and the original owner didn't kill the diver and died himself. And that's how Jonah got the lamp. Because then you have an example. Oh, I have to kill somebody or I'm going to die. But how does he know he has to kill somebody? If he's the original owner and didn't have an example to see. This is where they left you hanging again. Yeah. So I just don't know how they figure out it works. And I don't know how Jack and Ryan know how it works. Jack seemed to have all this information that they have to kill somebody for it to work. How do they know that? But did they have to kill somebody in order for it to work? That's I what... thought he was just being greedy. No, Jack says that in the description. When they get the lantern back to the shop, Jack says, well, you know the downside. And Mickey says, yeah, that one of the divers has to die. Certainly sounded like a close call to me. Well, most of them are, Mickey. Most of them are. <laughs> well, from the way you described it, I'm sure glad I missed it. Well, we almost missed it. It was darn near sayonara time oh, oh. for the both of us. Well, at least we found it. One more item locked up safe and sound in the vault. Oh, how many buried treasures do you think that lantern helped Harkness find? And how many men died because of it? Hey, don't forget the curse, fellas. I mean, for every treasure that that lantern helped him to find. I know. He had to kill a diver who brought it up. The upside and the downside of the curse. So what happens if the diver doesn't die? And how do they know that if this is the original owner? How did he figure that out without dying himself? Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. Uh-uh. Ryan and Jack steal the lantern and get away, which was a hilarious escape. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Trying to get up those stairs, that was the most hilarious thing. <laughs> Jack and Ryan steal the lantern and get away, but Jonah sees the license plate as they drive away. And I guess somehow that leads him to the store where he purchased it. Jack and Ryan lock it up. You know, they they talk to Mickey about it and lock it up. And then they go out into a storm to go to an astrologer's convention, leaving Mickey alone in the shop. So the men watch Jack and Ryan leave and call to make sure no one else is there, but Mickey answers. So they kill a phone repairman to con their way into the store. Meanwhile, a neighbor calls to ask Mickey to babysit her son. And then Jack and Ryan call, and they're stuck somewhere along the way to the conference. They decide to try to go to the conference since they can't get back to the store. They call just to make make sure we know that they can't get back to the store. So Jonah and his buddy cut the phone lines, and Mickey lets them into the basement because Jonah, for some reason, knows about the vault. I mean, he bought the thing when... What's his name? Uncle Lewis owned it. But I'm sure Uncle Lewis wasn't giving tours of the vault. So I don't know how he knows there's a vault. He knew it because either Jack told Ryan or Ryan told Jack, we must get it back to the vault. Oh, okay. Because I thought he said something about he remembered the guy had a vault. I thought that's what he said when he was talking to his partner. No, he overheard him because remember, in this series, nobody speaks quietly. Right. (laughs) 
<laughs> tell them the big secret. Right. You know, there's a secret around. That's when you say you know where to put it at. Make sure it gets to where it needs to go. Right. That's what I'm going to tell you. You know where it needs to go. Vicky, it needs to go back. Keep it safe. Okay. Need the vault. You know, move the brick. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god that's right well, you know, yeah, yeah so maybe that's it because i thought they said something about i remember there was a vault and i was like well why would they know there was a vault okay that makes sense uh-huh. okay <laughs> jenny the neighbor comes to drop off richie who's not happy to be there and he's a kind of a pain in the ass so the guys in the basement can't find the way into the vault and richie catches them trying to torch it open and he knows something's wrong and he knows no one's supposed to go near the vault so they must make a big deal about this vault to the neighbors, too, that nobody's supposed to go near it. I don't know if everybody knows that he might know it, because this is the other thing I couldn't figure out. Why would you let a kid in the place at all? Well, that's what we said way back at the beginning when they took that homeless girl there. Mm-hmm. Remember? And then they left her there to go run around the park to try to catch, what was her name, Lady Die. Yeah. So they left her there alone because all right. of them were in the park. Yeah, I know. I don't understand, but... And I, kids are curious. We can tell kids don't. Right. They do. Right. This kid seemed to take it to heart because when the guy even asked him if he wanted to help, he says, I'm not allowed to touch the vault, which is, yeah, kind of a good thing. But, yeah, I see what you're saying. You know, just like the Halloween party, he put a little rope on the stairway. That's not going to stop anybody. You need to do something else to mm-hmm. keep that vault away from people. So Mickey goes to look for him when she hears him scream, the boy, because they grab him when he says he's going to go tell. He screams and Mickey goes to look for him. So now they're both being held hostage by the fake phone guys. And then a policeman shows up and finds the phone truck and he finds the dead phone man. And at this point, he should be calling for backup. Yep. But no. (laughs) No, he doesn't. So then this guy, oh, Jonah, is now threatening Mickey with a match. He has a match in front of her face and he's going to burn her hair. It's in front of her mouth. Blow it out. Right? Blow it out! <laughs> it's in front of her mouth. Yep. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, maybe we weren't that bright back then. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> I mean, she's her saying, okay, okay, I'll do it, could have blown it out. It was that close to her mouth. Yeah. So she gives up and she says she'll tell him how to get in. And she tells him that the instructions are written in a book upstairs. And she takes him to the book to look for it. But he catches her trying to hit him with something. Yeah, she also made a noise, too. If I'm not mistaken, she made a noise, too. That's why I held it for the next episode because it was her. Going, why are you making noise? Be discreet and then knock him out. Right, I didn't even notice that. So then she tells him that it's one of the bricks that opens it. And so she's faking trying all the bricks when they hear the cop banging at the door. One of the guys goes to the door, but the cop doesn't believe the partner who says everything's fine. This is where he knew the guy was lying because the wires were cut. Mm -hmm. And he knew the phone was down. The phone lines are down. Right. The guy said the phone lines are, are fine. Right, right. So I think from that he knew, nah, something ain't right. Right. So now if you didn't call for backup when you found the dead guy, you need to call for backup. I don't even think he had a radio. (laughs) So he just busts in and shoots. Mm -hmm. He shoots the alternate robber, whatever his name was. I don't think we ever knew what his name was. And then he's sneaking around the store. Jonah locks Mickey and Richie in the vault and sneaks upstairs and kills the cop. Mickey and Richie find the lantern, and when Jonah comes in the vault to get it, they hit him and run. But for some reason, they can't open the front door. Why? Why? Hmm. The cop just kicked it in. It shouldn't have already been open. 
or broken. Right. So they run to Mickey's room. Now, remember back in the episode where Uncle Lewis came back to life and they found this hidden room? Yeah. Why didn't they go there? Probably forgot like I did. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't forget. I was like, what are they doing? Yeah, let's go in the room with all the windows. So Mickey sets up a trap with a lamp to electrocute Jonah. And it works. But he grabs her leg as she walks past him like we didn't see that coming. Mm Mm-hmm. So they struggle, and Richie throws the lantern from the upstairs landing. And Mickey pushes Jonah over, too. But this guy just doesn't die. (laughs) So he grabs the lamp, and he tries to shoot it at Mickey. But she grabs a mirror that I think she put there earlier in the episode when she was taking things down so they didn't break for the hurricane that was coming. Yeah. So she grabs the mirror and reflects the beam back at him, and he burns. So Richie's another kid who's going to need therapy. I mean, he not only saw people die, he participated in some of this. (laughs) So the next day, Jack and Ryan come home and keep complaining and complaining about their horrible night and everything that went wrong. And, you know, they're just complaining and complaining. And they kept saying we should have spent a nice, quiet evening at home. And Mickey doesn't mention anything about the lantern incident. But Richie's mother comes in asking Mickey not to tell Richie's scary stories anymore. And she mentions the pirates and the magic lantern. So Jack and Ryan know something happened. But it kind of seems like Mickey's finally over her moaning and complaining about everything and is kind of accepting the situation because she wasn't even going to mention it. I think I like the end of it from the mirror on. To me, that was the best part. Yeah, but I think she's getting used to her situation because, you know, two episodes ago, as soon as they walked in the door, she would have been saying how she hates this place and look what happened. And she Mm -hmm. wasn't even going to mention it. And the only reason they know anything about it is, I mean, I'm sure she'll tell him now because Richie's mother let the cat out of the bag, but um, she wasn't even going to mention it to him. She was just Mm going to let them complain about their horrible night. So I did like this. Both of them, actually. The vampire one was a little... You know I don't normally like those black and white when they try to make old movie kind of things. Yeah. But it was okay. It was all right. This one I liked better. It went by quick. Yeah. But like I said, I liked the end part because she did the Indiana Jones mirror thing. Yeah. And also not saying anything when they came in. I like that, that she didn't say anything. But then when the mother came in to say it, it was like, oh, crap, she's holding it back. So right. So kind of like something a little different, a little change. I like that part. I really like that part. Yeah, it was like I can take care of myself mm-hmm. kind of thing. And I didn't need your protection. Yeah, I liked it too. So do you have anything else on this one? No, that's it. Neither do I. So we'll be back shortly with another couple episodes. All right, see you then. See you then. This is Doug, reminding you to follow us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash 13th Warehouse, on Twitter at Eureka Warehouse, and on Instagram at Eureka underscore Warehouse. You can listen to The 13th Warehouse on our website, the13thwarehouse.com, on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Theme music for The 13th Warehouse, Friday the 13th, the series edition, Suspense Night, provided by Anton Kornienko, Pixabay user 147-98912, free for personal or commercial use. See you next time at the warehouse.